Hello, and welcome back to the Stakes After Dark, sad, for our fourth and final night of Republican National Convention coverage. Also sad. We made it. The good news is, we made it. The bad news is, there's an entire other convention starting on Monday. But we'll get to that when we get to it. The theme of tonight's RNC sessions was Make America One Again. And joining me here in our New York studio to answer the question, one what, uh, is our DC correspondent, the glorious Jane Coaston. Hey, Jane. Hello. Let's dive into this oil-slicked puddle, shall we, Jane? We shall. You know my theory, that Donald Trump doesn't want to be president, that he's never wanted to be president that he got way out over his skis with this campaign and began methodically self-sabotaging himself in increasingly hilarious ways. And I still don't think he wants to be president, and I get that. It's a terrible job. I'm suspicious of anybody who does want to be president. But I think he's convinced himself that he wants to, if that makes any sense. He's convinced himself and he's shouldered this mantle of the double recess everyday kid campaigning for class president. And it's working. And if we as a society have a major political party that doesn't find anything to trip over regarding a candidate who decries President Obama's irresponsible rhetoric in his acceptance speech, uh, says that Obama divides people by race and color, while remaining the guy who made his bones on the back of all Mexicans are rapists rhetoric his own self, maybe we're getting exactly the fuck what we deserve? (sighs) Jane, have we earned this? No. I think that this is based on the fact that we have a the combination of a GOP primary electorate that is loud and we have a media that is very much interested in this story. I mean, what could possibly be a better story than Donald Trump, a man so famous he shows up in Home Alone 2 running for president? I think that this was a moment at which from people who know a lot better than I do. This was a moment at which, as as you said, he promised us all ice cream and pizza every day if we just vote for him for sixth grade class president. However, after tonight, I am increasingly excited to see exactly what will take place when he actually has to debate someone. I'm not sure that'll matter, is the thing. If it hasn't mattered so far, when's it going to start mattering? Well, I think that you know, people keep talking about like, oh, is he, he's going to pivot. He's going to pivot. He's going to pivot. But clearly he's not. That's the point. Yeah. Any fucking day now, Donnie. And I think that the issue here is that that, you know, 25 percent of Americans that are really, really attracted to this message are still offset by the 75 percent of Americans who think, oh, shit. Oh, shit. So... After tonight, after the longest uh, acceptance speech in convention history, after literally the longest four days I have ever endured during which I did not have stomach flu, I feel tepid? Tepid. That's the word. I feel feel like lukewarm soup about where this election is going. Speaking as someone who did go through both stomach flu and a convention this week... uh, I appreciate your metaphor of lukewarm soup. 
one of my things here, and it was a thing before Trump became a serious candidate, the reality TV transmogrification of politics in this country has made us terrible at picking presidents. For lack of a better way to put this, we need to almost dehumanize them at this point. Uh, to break them down into their component issues and how they might tangibly affect our lives, because I want to have a beer with him is a shitty way to choose a commander-in-chief. But after a week-long pageant dedicated to this guy, I still don't have a clue what the first one of those policies might be. No. And I think it's interesting that you only heard stories from people who either worked from, for him or were l- related to him. Or and both. Yet, and yet all of those stories were still... You know, I've had closer interactions with people on the subway than his own children appear to have had with him on any regular basis. Also, I would like to see Ivanka and him walk a construction site. I just, I like, I just want to be there for that, just in the room, or like on the site with them. Jane, you're our correspondent frequently from the front lines of the alt-right on the internet. Uh, I'm not super worried about Trump becoming president because I can read polls and do math. I'm worried about what happens when he loses. How do you think the alt-right is going to react to this? Well, the thing I find most reassuring is that if you are not on the internet, you would not know there was such thing as the alt-right. It is very much the kind of gamergate NRX that group of people who do not have an actual presence in actual life. Like, these are not people who do things that are outside among other people. They do not like other people. They, um, I think that, and especially because I feel as if any reaction that they might have that would be, you know, outward or violent in any way would really kind of, you know, put the lie to the idea that Trump would be a law and order candidate if his law and order followers want to break the law if he loses. Okay, after four days of this, I know that you have been chafing every time this comes up. How do you feel about him maligning the good name of the law and order franchise, Jane? Just, I want you to take this moment to just let out all your Lenny Briscoe feelings. In the name of Jerry Orbach, who when he died donated his eyes and other organs to people who needed them in the name of Esapetha Murkison, who played the captain on the show for about 19 years. I am depressed. I am downtrodden. I really, if Dick Wolf came out and did a Hillary ad right now, it would fill me with unimaginable joy. Tonight, Ice-T said that uh, on Twitter that Dick Wolf needs to sue Trump and I am prepared to back that lawsuit as far as it needs to go. I will find attorneys. I will write things down. I will do whatever has to happen. He cannot take law and order away from me. I can't. I can't lose my five hours of day of law and order criminal intent with either Vincent D'Onofrio or the newer ones with Jeff Goldblum, which are okay, too. Do we want to unpack that or? No. <laughs> you said something uh, in your last screed that, almost made me even more depressed uh the phrase hillary ad which reminds me we have four more days of this shit uh we have five more days if you count tomorrow when she'll probably uh today if you're listening to this episode when she'll probably announce her vice president uh which will be a uninspiring choice from a field of uninspiring choices 
Well, I think that if you're Hillary at this point, you have the interesting challenge yet opportunity of riding the middle as hard as you possibly can. And because Donald Trump has managed to take both a big government stance and a far right nationalist stance. And so taking that like the 65, 70% in the middle, like basically she just needs to go hardcore vanilla ice cream right now. Like let's not get into like Rocky Road. Let's not get into like the weird Colbert named Ben and Jerry flavors. Let's just go vanilla. And I think with her VP pick with next week, essentially all that anyone needs to do is, well, here's this person and there's that guy. And that's your message. How do you think that's going to play with Bernie supporters who may have been inspired, at least in part, by seeing how far he was able to drag her to the left during the primaries? Well, I think that she'll still stay on that message. I think that with her, you know, kind of the incorporation of a Black Lives Matter um, message and with the discussions she's had about the DNC's platform, I think that'll be there as well. But I think that the Bernie Sanders supporters, um, somebody has done, I, you know, I don't ascribe to this totally, but I do agree in some senses that there is this weird kind of link between Sanders supporters and Trump supporters that people don't really care what's being said. They just really like how people are saying it. And so I do think that there will be some Sanders supporters who are hashtag still Sanders, hashtag Bernie or bust. But I feel as if those are the same people who are really concerned about chemtrails. So not many people, but somehow a lot on my Facebook. So to bust through this fourth wall here for a minute, we're about halfway through our allotted time for these Stakes After Dark shows, and I'm tapped. You know, like we were just talking about, we have devoured every syllable that has been spoken in Cleveland for the past four days. We've come away with no concrete ideas uh, of what Donald Trump's policies might be as a hypothetical president, or given the fact that it's Donald Trump, even how well he lines up with the GOP platform that, lest we forget, was laid out mostly without his input and with a lot of help from guys like Tony Perkins. Jane, I don't know about you, but I feel like all we got for our week of listening and scribbling and talking was a balloon drop that didn't even happen on schedule. Yeah, I ate too many Oreos. That was pretty much what I got from this. But yeah, there was no... It's interesting that what was said during the convention and what the GOP platform is, I've never seen it be further apart. You had both Peter Thiel say that he was proud to be gay, and then Donald Trump mentioned LGBTQ people in a way that implied that he had never said those letters before. Um, not even in like a primary school setting and when which one, in which one has to learn an alphabet. But yeah, it was it was policy free. It was policy non-existent. It was it was bumper stickers. It was bumper stickers. It was entirely focused on Hillary Clinton. I'm sure someone has come up with a word cloud that showed how many times the word Hillary Clinton was used and it has to have been three times as many times as the word Donald Trump was because the entire message seemed to be, yeah, Trump, well, you know, he's he's a human, but Hillary, that's that's the danger. And 
based on that fear, you know, that fear of the unknown, you know, the fact that we have a devil we don't know heading in to face the Democrats. I feel like we're in for more of the same next week. You know, I feel like the Democrats are going, I worry, I should say, that the Democrats are going to pivot to a Donald Trump focused convention rather than actual policies. And that I'm not sure that would necessarily be a mistake, but it sure would be sad. Well, I think that the Democrats do have the benefit of its candidate and its policies having met once. You know, we've got that going for you. Jane, while we're talking about this, well, before we sign off from Make America Great Again, I just want to ask you, because I've been thinking about this all day, how have the past eight years been for you? Pretty good. Pretty solid. Yeah? Yeah. What's happened to you? Uh, Let's see. I graduated from college. I got my dream job. I met my wife. I got to marry my wife. My marriage now counts in every state in the union. And I had a president who looks like me, which was cool. Not everything, but it was cool. And um, unemployment went down. And yeah, things have been good. It's been a solid eight years. I mean, it's tough thinking about that because, you know, Obama was, I remember Obama's election because it was my senior year of college. And now I am, I'll be 29 in September. But yeah, it's been a pretty good eight years. And um, yeah, I, it's funny because, you know, people keep saying this, and I feel as if that unintentionally, I think liberals have done some fear-mongering of their own. But really, in terms of American history, we're doing pretty okay. Like, crime is down. Violence is down. Everything's, like, we're chugging along in a way that would not imply that we're about to be taken over by the Death Star. But it, I mean, it's more effective on both sides if people believe that we are. So, I mean, I know that's not an all too inspiring message, but we're we're okay currently. I'm okay. Things are going okay. I'd like them to keep being okay. Let's just make everything okay. That that that's my message. That would be such a pleasant alternative to next week. It's pretty good. We're fine. It's all fine. Everything's fine. As a sage 34-year-old, I was uh, counting back the past 8 years for myself. I met my husband when I was 26. I have gotten married in the past eight years. I have moved back to my favorite place on the planet, Los Angeles. I also have a dream job right now. And, you know, on a more macro policy level, I have a husband who has a terrible spine condition that has been fixed that wouldn't have been possible uh, without Obamacare. Uh, You know, if he had, he walked around, I'm not going to get too grisly, uh, with an open wound on his spine for 18 months uh, because he switched jobs and uh, the giant hole in his spine was a pre-existing condition at the new job where he was literally working for an insurance company. And now things like that won't ever happen to people like him in theory uh, because, you know, thanks Obama. So I, I got to say that on, you know, an administrative level and on a personal level, I'm ready to slap an I'm fine, thanks, how are you sticker on my car. Yeah, and it just seems it's interesting because, um, you know, I've talked about this a little bit online and kind of in some of my writings, but a lot of the people who are most concerned aren't the poorest people. They are not the people living in or either like urban areas or in Appalachia or in like the outskirts of Missouri. Not them. It's the middle class people. You know, Donald Trump does really well with people making over $70,000 a year who feel scared but shouldn't be scared and who feel like they're on the edge of something, but there is no edge. 
things are okay. You were saying earlier tonight that he's appealing to the people who feel they can't unlock their doors at night anymore because a Mexican walked by the other day. Right. And it's, you know, the people who remember something that never actually happened, but want to go back to whatever that was. Yeah, us, of course, saying that our lives have gone pretty swell uh, in the past eight years is is pretty easy for us to say, you know, we we have good jobs, you know, we have stable relationships, you know, and that and we're extraordinarily privileged in many ways. But you're right. The people, you know, the people who aren't doing so hot right now. Stop me if I lie, but something tells me Donald Trump isn't really looking out for our most vulnerable citizens. Because no. if he was, he might could have started a long time ago. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. It's I mean, it's interesting because um, that was so interesting to watch him say he wanted to try. It was so it was wildly cognitively dissonant in the moment to watch him marry this speech uh of saying, you know, I'm looking out for the rights of, how do you pronounce it? L-G-B-T-Q Americans, like he was some kind of yell leader, uh, when his platform was literally penned by Focus on the Family. Yeah, and it's interesting, like, the things that didn't come up, um, you know, when he talks about veterans and how we'll take care of them in a way we've never taken care of them again, oh, before, does sound sort of like we're going to smother them with pillows. And just, you know, a lot of the problems that people are seeing, it's not necessarily that those problems have existed for a while. When people talk about heroin, when people talk about poverty, those problems have existed this whole time. People had these problems. But at no time in human history have we known more about it. At no time in human history have we had real interactions with people through social media or through the media in general who can tell us like this terrible thing has taken place and we say oh no that's a terrible thing which it is but we you know in 1950 we probably thought things were great you know if you were white in 1950 you probably thought things were dandy because you didn't know better and you know you probably even in 1965 or something like that you probably thought you know things are going well things are going you know I feel safe. Things are good because as soon as you turn off your TV on your three channels that you get, yeah, things are fine. And I think that a lot of times when people, you know, the constant anxiety created by having so much information and not really having a way to process it effectively, I think that that does lead to a sense of kind of dissonance and constant fear. Do you think these people who are ardently chanting, make America great again, are they really asking, please put these blinders back on? I think so, in a way. And um, there was, I think, I can't remember from what outlet it came from, but there were people polling people on the floor of the RNC, asking them, okay, when was America last great? And people referenced Elvis or 1970 because I had a really foxy girlfriend. And it's interesting. It's kind of like how, whenever you know, I've talked about this before, but whenever we get past a certain generational milestone. We start hating the generation after us. You know, people do it, did it with Generation X. People do it now with millennials. And people simultaneously hate young people, but also wish they were young people again and remember being a young person far more rosily than it ever actually happened. When people, you know, it's really funny. You're seeing people on the RNC floor who are like, ah, you know, things were really great in the 70s. And I'm like, wasn't there a hostage crisis and like 
oil embargoes? And didn't the Olympics get bombed? And didn't a lot of people die? That was bad. We weren't even alive then, and we know this. Yeah, it just seems to be a reading of history that just seems really confused, where it's just like, oh, you know, oh, things were great in the 40s and 50s. I'm like, we had a giant world war. 50 million people died. We were at war, a cold war with Soviet Russia, and like every day we risked nuclear holocaust. Like, I will take today over that any day. That echoes back to an earlier series of contradictions that I've been thinking about all week, uh, very early on in the conventions when they were doing the roll call of states, uh, announcing their delegate allocations, when we got to experience one of my favorite parts of the convention, which is when each delegation gets up and recites cool facts about their state, uh, like their vine-ripe pink tomato yield each year. Uh, or that they lead the nation in, like, square footage of malls, uh, what kind of trout they catch. But it was state after state touting, I mean, there had to have been, this had to have been dozens, a couple dozen states, touting things like their private sector job growth, their manufacturing industry. Their low unemployment. And And I'm sitting here like, so you've been doing pretty well under the Obama administration, if you're quoting these stats back to 2013, have you? And it was just, it was another pivot into illogic that just I this is something that hangs me up as a human being I I am able to process people doing things for noble motivations or shitty motivations or malicious motivations or self-serving motivations but when something just flat doesn't make sense to me I have an almost Vulcan reaction to it like it gives me some kind of like spiritual electrical seizure and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I, I just can't proceed. Like, I get into a feedback loop. And I've been experiencing hitting so many of those walls that week. Yeah. And I, I think that one that I was noticing and kind of following kind of the right wing Twitter or conservative Twitter that I see was during Ivanka Trump's speech, where she started talking about equal pay and how mothers are underserved in the economy and how we need to work on child care and child care offerings. Now, what's and, Donald Trump's plan for child care? Yeah, that was, um, if I remember correctly, his belief is that pregnant women shouldn't be in the workplace and that all you have to do to give children childcare is give them some balls and some swings. But it was interesting because I joked on Twitter that you could have Ivanka Trump read Das Kapital out loud and the RNC floor would have lost their minds. Like, it's just very funny. And I think that um, people have seen it before that if you have people, you know, if you had Donald Trump literally give a Barack Obama speech, but just as Donald Trump, people would love it. People would absolutely love it. And it really speaks to, you know, something that I think people have been noticing, that it's really, you know, I you have mentioned earlier that you think that the DNC could be kind of policy-free as well. And I think it could be as well, because I feel as if we've gotten into a sense of tribalism to an extent that, you know, I think has been with us for a long time. Um, I You know, I grew up in a family of people where, when I came out as gay, that was totally fine. But if I had been a Republican, oh, my God. But I do think that there's a sense that, like, well, it's a Republican message. Because, you know, as people have been saying again and again and again, Donald Trump isn't really a Republican. Mm-hmm. But he said he's a Republican. And he talks a lot of shit about Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. So that's fine. But it's just interesting to the extent that which, like, 
policy and actually discussing the issues, it doesn't matter at all. It just is like team red, team blue. You know, it ties back into what we were talking about, uh, about nostalgia, about nostalgia for a time that if you actually go back and examine it, you know, wasn't all that great for a whole lot of people. You know, it's as as boomers and then Gen Xers uh, and now us have been aging up to the point where our nostalgia has become this huge industry, you know, marketing to us about, hey, remember when has, you know, has spawned legions and legions of little mini industries in entertainment and clothing uh, and but in the political arena nostalgia has become weaponized and that's just fascinating to me on a terrible terrible level and I'm you know I'm speaking from this as someone who is Jane as you know probably far to the right of a lot of folks uh, certainly on our staff and among my peer group you know, on things like national defense, on things like energy policy, on things like gun policy. But what I do like is ideas, and I'm seeing a vacuum. Yeah, and it just seems, and it's it's interesting also that those ideas, like coming up with something, you know, people talk, it's, it's tough because I feel as if on both sides, thinking has become difficult like somehow we've made you know people talk a lot about like ah oh, you know there's too many academics i'm like no no i think that we need a few more academics maybe I want from different people smarter than me right right running like, this shit i want people smarter than me in charge right and i think that occasionally i mean i get what people talk about you know kind of the echo chamber but i feel as if you know if you want an echo chamber go on facebook like that's one and I think that the conversations that we need to be having need to be harder and more challenging. But and I I think that that hasn't happened as much as it should be. But I do, you know, I want more ideas. I want to be challenged. I want people to say things where I'm like, I don't know about that, but let me get back to you after I think about it and Google a little bit. Yeah, I want I want curious. I want people who are aren't afraid to say they don't know, and I want curious people more than anything. I think that's what. You know, this is all not to say that the Obama administration has been perfect by any measure. You know, there's this is not to say that we welcome a Hillary presidency with big sunny grins on our faces. I'm not super excited about casting my vote uh, for any of my options in November. I don't think it's a secret, but I want what I'm really going to miss about President Obama is that he seems like a curious dude. Yeah. He seems like a dude who wants to like find things out and who wants to know things. And I feel like no matter what happens, no matter who gets elected, that we're going to be missing that spirit of of seeking out that we've had for eight years going on. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think Donald Trump has been really curious about anything since like 1965. And I think with Hillary, I feel as if her own curiosity has been stymied by the fact that if she's, if, you know, if Hillary Clinton said she didn't know, there would be an entire super PAC founded around Hillary Clinton not knowing something. And yeah, I, I like curiosity and I like thoughtfulness and I like ideas. It's just the ideas that I've been presented with over the last four days and probably much of next week as well aren't, aren't really filling me with excitement. Yeah, the next time, as we know all too well, that the Democrats managed to capitalize on a 
big, giant, fluffy, gift-wrapped opportunity presented on their doorstep in a basket with a bonnet with a note on it reading free to good home will be the first time. Wait, well, well, there was, please proceed, Governor. I just want one of those. <laughs> I just want another one of those. That that was one of the finer moments of 2012. Yeah, actually, though, I think that was one of the three fine moments of 2012. Let's close out on a high note. Please proceed, Jane. Um, it's been fun. I mean, no, 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 it actually, no, it hasn't. That's no, that's a no, lie. That's, no, it hasn't that, been that's fun. That's a complete lie. But next week we get to do it again. That's not then, better. But then after that, we'll be done. And then the cleansing fires come. Yes, it'll be August. And then other things will happen, I hope, that don't have anything to do with conventions. Other things will happen, I hope. What better message could we hope to take out of a week at the RNC? Indeed. Good night, Jane. Good night, Holly.